Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here with Thank God It's Friday again. I think the first episode where I don't think that anything was unnecessary and could definitely have been cut to make the episode flow better. Oh, I thought you were going to say this is the first episode where none of the plot involves there being something wrong with the ship. Also that, which, good. It is good that there is an episode where the plot isn't, oh no, something's wrong with the ship. There are actually plenty of those episodes coming, although... This is the first one we've got. Yeah. Also, something's going to happen that's going to be, like, an overarching problem with the ship. Pregnancy? Yeah, I didn't know if you knew that or not. You've mentioned it before. Yeah. So, this is, like, head and shoulders above last uh, last time. Oh, yeah, well... Last week's episode is, I think, my least favorite episode of Farscape, and this episode is one of my favorites. Which is weird, because the two of them do have similarities. Well, they have the same director. They're both directed by Rowan Woods, Hmm. who also, as we mentioned last week, directed the upcoming A Human Reaction, which might be my favorite episode. Or possibly the sequel to that episode, Won't Get Fooled Again, which he also directed. Hmm. Yeah. This episode, though, was written by David Wilkes, and this is the only episode of Farscape he wrote. Huh. And I checked his IMDb. It's a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. Like what? Special Squad. Hmm. Gentlemen and Players. Okay. Yellow Thread Street. You think these are all New Zealand? Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. Oh, like the Miss Spider books? Do you remember those? Oh, maybe. I don't know. It sounds like a children's show to me, but maybe? Yeah, well, Miss Miss Spider was a children's book. Oh, were those children? Was that? Well, it was like a young adult series. No, they were picture books. I was thinking of Spiderwick Chronicles. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking about there. there's a series of children's books about a big yellow spider who like wears his sun hat and has tea parties and, sh- and and stuff like that oh i'm unfamiliar with those books but miss spider's sunny patch friends sounds like that yeah sure. yeah i mean to be fair okay he did write one episode of mutant x Ooh, i have heard you of mean that the brand x x-men uh, show yeah which was weirdly enough sort of an x-men show but not really because of rights issues but it is technically kind of an x-men show yeah, and also I guess he did he did direct a couple episodes of Lonesome Dove, the series, which I've never seen, but to be fair, I have heard of. Mm. I just, I'm surprised he wasn't asked back because I quite like this episode. Yeah, it's a good episode. It opens, just like last week's episode did, right in the middle of the action, not in media's rest, but rather as though things have been going on while we were gone and we are expected to catch up. Last week... The thing that was happening while we were gone was the approach of the other ship, and we were just expected to catch up to the fact that now there's a ship we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. This episode, Dargo is in hyper-rage, which is quite a danger to John, and we are just expected to catch up to that. So just just went with the first thing you could think of, huh? Hyper-rage. Hyper-rage. See, the issue is that Dargo is too horny. And that horniness is manifesting itself in trying to murder the only dude he finds threatening on the ship. Is this a Ponfar thing? This, okay. was, this is what Ponfar is, right? To be fair, that is what Ponfar is, and that's why we're calling it being super horny. But nothing in the script says it's sexual. It's just that it's Lux and Hyper Rage. It's directed at John alone because John is the other male. Haha, jokes about Rigel. Mm. And also pilot? 
Well, I mean, I think it's that John is who he sees as competition. He and Rigel aren't going to be... After the same ladies. Yes, and the same with Pilot. Hey, look at the thing from last episode that's coming up again. Alien sexual compatibility? Well, about him seeing John as a sexual rival. Yeah, I mean, he d- he does still see John as a sexual rival. And John is a sexual rival to him. So we find out now that while Dargo has been stomping around the ship, John hid for three days without them being able to find him. Good for John. Good for John. Also, this episode is really not helping my distaste for Dargo. Really? Even after what happens when we get to the planet? Yeah. Yeah, they should have left his ass there. I really feel like this episode is one of the first ones that kind of mellows Dargo, but I guess we'll get into that. See, this is why, despite what you say, I don't think I'm ever going to like Dargo as a character. Because we keep on getting this stuff where you're like, no, see, this is the beginning of... And I'm like, no. No, I mean, honest to God, it still could still be a uh, what's-his-bucket from Veronica Mars thing. It still could be a Logan from Veronica Mars thing where I hated him more than almost any other character on Earth during the first season of Veronica Mars, and later he became one of my favorite characters in the show, but I'm really not seeing that happening with Dargo. Okay, well, and what's funny is, unlike Logan, I mean, I love Logan, he's my favorite, I am a Logan Veronica shipper, it doesn't really- Veronica. Well, so it doesn't actually- Ooh, Verogan. It's actually called Love, because it's L-O-V-E. Oh, barf. But that doesn't work well when you say it out loud. It works You're better. You're a love shipper. Yeah, it, it works better when you type it out because you type, you know, capital L, lowercase o, capital V, lowercase e. Yeah, not a fan. Not, of not, the ship name. Yeah. What about the ship? It's fine. It's I, I, Veronica Mars is one of those characters like Buffy Summers where I kind of like it better when she's not with anyone. No spoilers for anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get that, although I, I just, I really like Logan. But what I was going to say is, unlike Logan with Dargo, you don't have to pretend that bum fights never happened. Mm. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that Dargo does on the show that is as bad as what Logan does in the pilot that you have to kind of pretend didn't happen before they figured out what his character was going to be. Yeah, it just feels like it's going to be like, oh, you're going to understand why he acts like this. And understanding why someone acts like an asshole doesn't mean they're not an asshole. Oh, oh, no, you're misunderstanding. When I keep telling you it's because the writers haven't figured out a motivation for him yet, I'm not saying you're going to hear his tragic backstory and you're going to be on his side. What I'm saying is, once the writers figure out what his backstory is, his personality changes to adjust to that backstory. Well, we'll see. But from what I know of his upcoming backstory, I I just, I don't think I'm ever going to turn a corner on this guy. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. But we find out that Dargo has taken Aaron's Prowler, with her permission, presumably, Hmm. and gone down to the planet to cool off, to wait for the hyper-rage to dissipate. Huh, so you can just get in someone's spaceship if you need to cool off. Like, say, if you were having a problem with the ship emitting too much heat... You could just yeah, you get could in literally one of the- cool off. Also, there are other ships because they take one of Moya's shuttlecraft down to the planet to go retrieve Dargo and the Prowler. I'll get off this. This this will. I will try to make this the last time I point out that that episode had so many solutions outside of the one they went with, which was hope Aaron doesn't die. Yeah. Well, I like that 
they brought back the sebation heat death here, not as a complication per se, but as a reason that Aaron's not on the planet. Yes, they're going to check to see if Dargo is no longer homicidal. He's gone to this planet to furiously masturbate or murder local wildlife until the blood rage wears off. Yeah, that's not really clear, is it? Yeah, but Aaron comes down because when they first arrive, it's night, but it's a planet that has a very a very hot climate. So as soon as the sun rises, Aaron has to go back to the ship. Which is a good conceit to keep her out of the main plot. Yeah, things would have gone differently if Aaron had been there. So I like that they get her off planet. Also... Using established continuity. Yes. Also, this has come up in our Facebook group. Farscape is a sci-fi show where aliens have biological differences that matter. Mm. So the fact that Aaron is sebation means things. It means she can't be exposed to heat. And they follow through with that. And there's going to be another one in this episode where biological differences are... Matter. Yeah. I was, I was going to be cute and say they're explosive. Oh, dear. Yes. That plot point might be my least favorite thing about this episode. It's too cartoony. It's kind of cartoony, but it's how they figured out what was going on. It's bathroom humor. And you know my str- you know my position. Bathroom humor, bad. Bedroom humor, good. Okay, I am also against bathroom humor, but I feel like when your bodily fluids explode, it ceases to be bathroom humor. It becomes something else. So they go down to this planet, which is all crumbling infrastructure, most of New York outside of New York City. Yeah. We also see the people who inhabit the planet who look kind of like Sebations. Aaron's going to tell us that they're a... Cousin race? A cousin race. Okay, so it's just more of last episode, but better. Oh, yeah. Because Dargo is dealing with a cousin race of his. Yes. Although I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we're going to learn about the Sebations later, Mm -hmm. which is that one of the things about them that's strange is that they can interbreed with almost any other race. Okay, so there's a cartoon I've never seen, but I know stuff about just from, you know, being a person who exists in the world. Uh Uh-huh. Called Ben 10. I'm aware of it, but I've never seen it, yes. Yeah, I've also never seen it, but I'm aware of it just in general. And, like, he has a watch or something that lets him turn into aliens. But the thing about humanity, in that universe, their special power, because I guess every alien race has a special power or something, and theirs is being able to breed with any alien no matter what. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so that's Sebation's thing, is that they can breed with any alien, almost any alien. and Which is going to come back in a pretty major way after we're done with this current Big Bad, correct? That is true. Speaking yeah. of the Big Bad we will not see in this episode, because we're just not seeing the Big Bad at all early on in the show. Don't worry, we'll deal with him a lot next episode. Or at least the fact that he exists. Hmm. Well, I like that they made Sebations be able to interbreed with almost any race because that way, whenever they, for, I assume, budget reasons, needed a race that was just humans except with kind of maroon skin and white hair, which is what this race is, instead of being like, yeah, that's just what aliens are. They're just humans with head ridges. They said, oh, it's a cousin race of Sebations. That's why they're like this. Yeah. It's a good cheat. Also, the fact that Sebations have so many cousin races 
raises the implication that humans are possibly a cousin race of Sebastians, and that might be why John looks like one. But at this point, we do not know what's going on mm. with, with the fact that humans look essentially identical to Sebastians. So they go down to the planet to see if they can find Dargo for whatever reason. I mean, I guess they want Aaron's ship back. Yeah, no, I love how you were like, just leave him there. They go into a nightclub where the alien race, the Psychar, are partying. It's bas- it's basically an alien rave. They're all doing variations on the dance that those uh, kids and Charlie Brown do in the Christmas special. Oh my gosh, yeah, they are. But who will they find here but Darko, who has fucked himself into not being murdery anymore? Yeah, we see him dancing with one of the sidecar, and then he sees John and goes chasing after him, and John tries to run, but then Darko just grabs him and is like, It's so good to see you! He grabs him, pins him to the ground, John punches him in the face, and then Darko's like, It's okay, dude. I'm boned out. John actually says, is this how Hyper Rage ends? I get hugged to death. It really reminded me of the Boys Night Out episode of The Office when Dwight and Michael go into the club in New York and they see Ryan and Ryan is just completely stoned. Spoilers for this episode. Ryan is just completely stoned. So he's like, Michael, it's so good to see you. And Michael's like, you know, it's me, right? I Which love- is the one self-aware thing Michael ever does on The Office. Yeah, I love Ryan was so enthusiastic that it actually, like, threw Michael into a self-awareness moment. <laughs> but Dargo is very happy to see John. He smooshes him with joy. He smooshes him with joy. So it turns out that Dargo is super happy living on this farm planet where everyone has sexy raves at the end of the week. Yeah, Dargo's actually wearing the red outfits that everyone else is wearing. I'm, they're not all wearing uniforms, but they're wearing all variations on this one color of red. Hmm. And Dargo has is wearing that too, and he says he's been farming with these people. They're farmers. And he really likes it, and he wants to stay. And we see him making eyes at the woman he was dancing with, and it's like, okay, well, good yep. for you. Yep. Later, Tater. Bye. Yeah. Aaron gets annoyed with him. She's like, you're a fighter, not a farmer. So come with us and fight. And Dargo points out that staying on this planet where he's happy and getting lots of sex with a woman he likes sounds better to him than being on the run from the peacekeepers forever. Yeah. Okay, so this got me thinking about the... I don't want to say fetishization. Fetishization? Of farming in pop culture. Oh, yeah. But... It's such a thing, and it's one of those things where you have to think about what its, no pun intended, roots are, because there's a really big thing in pop culture about farming being this pure profession in a way that other professions aren't, about how farming, you know, connects you to the land, and it's the noblest of pursuits, which, on one hand... Yeah, it is, because it's something that's necessary for life. Farming is a very necessary thing. But what are, what are the roots of that? Is it because we do need farming for life? Or is it, you know, a way of being like, hey, this is propaganda because... Well, when we imagine, th- those of us who, who live in urban areas, when we imagine farming, we're probably thinking about family farms and not the reality of farming, which is massive amounts of corporate corporation farming. Yeah. 
Oh, I have a friend who actually majored in agriculture, and he he does agro-tourism now because he does sustainable farming, which is mostly sustained, like, you can sustain the farm and then the fact that there's kind of a tourism aspect to it as well. Hmm. But most of the food we get comes from corporate farms. Yeah. Which I feel like is kind of indicative of where this episode is going. Dargo's presenting this to them as, I'm, I'm part of the earth again, he says that it feels good to do work every day that has a purpose. And I can see how both of those things would bring him pleasure. But we're going to find out that this is really about their work being exploited by, in this case, a massive government, not a massive corporation, but, you know. There is such a weird, I don't want to say purity culture, but purity culture around farming, though. It's It's an activity that's... I'm trying to think of a good way to summarize it, but you see it a lot with people like in the story Kingdom Come, Superman has retired to be a farmer. Retiring to be a farmer as a noble end goal, it's such a thing. It's in Gladiator. It's something that's masculine yet nurturing. It's it's a good end point for a hero once they are done being a warrior. Well, and I mean, on the deconstruction of that, that's what Thanos does yeah. in the... At the beginning of Endgame. Yeah, or, you know, in the comics. It's it's a thing to show that someone has put down their arms and yet is still a man. Well, and I mean, that's the idea, right? Like, when you're fighting a war, you, you hammer your plowshares into swords. And the hope, the dream, is that someday war will end and you'll be able to turn those swords back into plows. Like... I get that. That, from a symbolic, thematic standpoint, makes sense to me. Although I feel like a lot of the the farmer is connected to the earth thing mm. is related to the kind of racism you see towards indigenous people. Yeah, I know our points have been all over the place in regards to the weird culture around farming, but it just reminds me of this thing I saw talking about Stardew Valley, This Uh person who grew up on a farm was talking about Stardew Valley, which is a video game about farming in a small community. Uh, It's very Harvest Moon-esque. Harvest Moon also has a lot of this. But they were talking about how they see a lot of people talking online about how Stardew Valley makes them want to, you know, go into a small community and start farming. You know, change up their life so that they can feel this connection to the earth, blah, 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 you know become the truest version of themselves through farming. And they're like, look, I grew up on a farm. It's not what you think it is. It's it's a gross job. It's You're not going to feel connected to the earth. The two things you're going to smell all the time are gasoline and shit. Like, there's this very romanticized version of farming, which is okay if you're playing a video game or if you're trying to establish, you know, character motivation or whatever. But it's not reflective of what actual farming is, which is, I feel like, a good theme in this episode, like you said. Yes. Well, okay, so I know our points have been all over the place, but if I can sum them all up into one thing, it's stop romanticizing and fetishizing the hard work of farming to trick people into doing labor for you. Yes. Which is exactly what's happening in this episode. Yes, that was a good way of pulling all of our points together. (laughs) Like, it is necessary work, fetishizing it is bad. Yes. Well, I mean, because that's just an excuse to not pay people what they're worth. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a weird different take on the whole art thing yeah no it happens in it happens in art jobs right it ha- i mean that's what that whole the whole twitter account for exposure is yeah Stop romanticizing any type of labor in order to trick people into laboring for free or little money. Yes. Yep. Okay. So Dargo is like, shut up. I'm happy here. I don't need to be a criminal being chased through space. I can just, you know, work on this space farm and have space sex with this space lady who looks like the space race that I space hate, but whatever. Well, then he goes off to have space sex with the space lady. Space whatever. Yes. John sees two people watching him from the corner of the room. A young woman, like a 20s woman, and an older man who we will learn is her father. We'll learn that these people are Tenga and Haibin. They're not the only ones who have eyes on John, though. Eyes on John! Alright, so... Another weird connection to the last episode is the villain of this episode. I love the villain of this episode. I think she's an amazing one-shot villain. Her name is Volme, and she is an albino version of this alien she's she's all white with the white hair and also she wears all white clothes she's like albino emma frost the way her outfit looks like the woman in the last episode we've got we've got a female villain who's got some very distinctive character tics yes she does but i mean again this is just a much much better version of the last episode because she's awesome there's i love avolme Yes. She she comes over to them and she does this kind of like really relaxed stoned talking thing where she's like, hello, I am so pleased to see new people. I really do like her pauses and her mannerisms. It's all very affected, but it works really well for the character. And she does this sort of hippie hand gestury thing with Zan where I guess they're having hand sex. Yeah, she's doing hand stuff with Zan. She like puts her hands up and like Zan does like the the theater's kid mirror exercise with her where she puts her hands up to Volme's hands and then John shoots them a peace sign. Okay, so not to keep derailing this, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, the whole thing with falcons and, you know, touch and it being this deeply intimate act uh-huh. it, it was the thing about for someone was saying about first contact where basically when the vulcans land uh, when the vulcans get in contact with humans and the human guy's first thing is like he puts out his hand for the vulcan to shake it's this space equivalent of whipping your dick out and that the first vulcan must have been like all right then these people came to space prepared to party wow humans are dtf yeah. To be fair, though. To be fair. But we, we, also, we are. But also, humanity was lucky that apparently Vulcan sent its kinkiest representative because he was all like, okay, cool. You know, I never thought about it before, but when we do start doing deep space exploration with the goal of making contact with alien species, it probably will be good if we send our kinkiest people. Well, there's there's a whole comic about that now. Really? Yeah, I forget what it's called. I really should know this, but it's about this team of astronauts that get sent into space specifically because they have this, like, they're open to anything. And they're like, okay, these are the people who are best suited to interact with alien cultures because 
they'll be the least weirded out by whatever stuff aliens are into. DTF Voyager. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm here for this. Yes. I, before we get too off track, though, I want to say that because we're describing the way Volme physically presents herself as a villain. Mm-hmm. She also does this weird, like, fluttery blinking thing. Which is a great character tick. But it happened because it was so hot on set that the contact lenses that made her eyes red were drying out. But she just went with it. She just made it part of the character. And good for her. It definitely works. Again, it feels like a real alien thing. Yeah. So Volme tells them to stay as long as they wish. She's, it's a very unassuming, peaceful thing, which Aaron rightly says gives her a woody. In a joke stolen from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, this is this is Kendra's thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she explains to John that she's repeating the stupid Earth thing he says all the time. And he's like, the willies. And she's like, oh, God, whatever. Look, I'm going to leave this planet because come sun up, I'm going to die here. So you deal with this. I'm going to be up in space getting drunk with Pilot. Yeah, basically. So over the loudspeaker... There's announcement that the party is over, go home and go to sleep because tomorrow is a rest day. And it is the wildest you don't have to go home but you can't stay here you've ever seen because everyone just stops mid-dance and files out peacefully. Mm. Well, a lot of these people are going to keep the party going at home. Yeah, probably. Probably. So, uh, as Erin is leaving, she bumps into Fish King, who is very full because he's been eating a whole lot because that is his character trait. Yeah, Rigel is totally stuffed because he is a food monster. Hmm. So he has to go relieve himself before they go back to the ship. That's his joke. Yeah. We also see Dargo leaving with a woman that I want to point out is not the woman he was dancing with. Hmm. So the idea that he's staying behind because he's in love with a woman has already fallen apart, but it's still possible that the reason he wants to stay behind is because there are lots of women here, and they are all picking up what Dargo is putting down. I mean, honestly, the the colony as presented, you know, it's, a, it's an agrarian community that has free love rules, which normally ends badly when it's people, but... You know, it seems like it's working for the society, except John has this big speechy speech about how, you know, they're not moving forward. They're just stuck in this... You can't call it hedonism, because they're doing enough to keep the planet running. But all of the infrastructure seems to have been collapsing. He notices that they probably used to be a lot more technologically advanced than they are. Also, he makes a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome reference, which nobody gets. You can cut this out, John. I do like, though, that other people are starting to try to imitate his references, because he makes... Because Aaron did try to use Earth slang. If only literally any other species in the universe had pop culture, then they could do it right back at him. Exactly! Well, actually, there was a moment where Aaron was talking about... Where Aaron made a reference about how she'd rather be torn apart by a certain type of alien... Is that really a pop culture reference, though? I mean, for, I, for peacekeepers, maybe. I, I'm just saying, if she was like, she, if she said, I'd rather watch season six of Gablork the Gablock Slayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As much as Farscape breaks the mold with sci-fi tropes that annoy me, one of the ones it doesn't really break is letting... Aliens have their own culture. Pop culture. Yeah, exactly. 
Which, does Star Trek do with, like, operas or whatever? No. No, Star Trek is particularly bad about it, because not only do aliens not have pop culture... Humanity didn't have pop culture after the 20th century. Exactly. Like, I get it, you don't want to write a whole bunch of new plays. John ends up alone on the street, and the woman he saw watching him before in the club Mm. kind of pulls him into an alley and throws him against the wall and says, you know, you have to stay here, and then takes off. He goes into his shtick to Aaron, he's like... Aaron, something's wrong here. Look, like, everyone seems happy, but the infra- infrastructure's collapsing, and there's no advancement. It's just hedonism, except for the part where they're all working all the time. And- I mean, he does indicate that Dargo's not behaving normally, and that he's probably stoned, which is probably accurate. And Aaron, Aaron pats him on the shoulder, and she's like, John, I don't care. This isn't any of our business. I'm gonna go up, you know, I'm gonna go back up so I don't die. Just... Please don't get involved in whatever dumb space bullshit is going on on this planet. And he's like, I'm absolutely going to get involved in this dumb space bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. But he's distracted by the dumb space bullshit by Rigel screaming as an explosion happens near him. He says that somebody tried to assassinate him. He was just peeing. And then all of a sudden there was an explosion. He was peeing in an alley, and John's like, are you a king? And he's like, I, I had to relieve myself. Although, God, you know no bathrooms have to be designed for him. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's gotta be hard. Erin gets the best line of the episode when she tells Rigel that no one was trying to assassinate him. She says, no one on this planet knows you. Only people who know you want to kill you. But Erin and Rigel decide they're gonna go back up to Moya together. Yeah. If you're peeing fire, I feel like you would notice that you were peeing fire. I, you know what? I, I think that the liquid explodes when it leaves his body, so I don't... When it's exposed to oxygen. Well, in a later scene, it appears to happen when it hits the ground. Okay. It's impact-based. Well, no, that makes sense, because remember, we learned that the tannet root is used to make the oil that powers the guns. So Mm. impact-based makes the most sense. I guess, yeah. So now it's just Zan and John on the planet, and they go to Dargo's apartment, which is apparently supplied by the planet for him, since he's a worker. That's nice. Yes. I mean, I guess it's a little, uh, company store-ish, but... Yeah, yeah. He invites them to stay, but he refuses to go back to Moya with them. They decide they're going to stay the night. Dargo tells them that since tomorrow is a rest day, tomorrow he can show them all around the planet... And he pulls down a Murphy bed for them to sleep on in the common area. A very small Murphy bed with enough space for one of them. I feel like it's big enough for both of them. And then he opens the door to his sex room where he's going to have sex with a sexy alien lady. Okay, so it's his bedroom. I, you could argue that most bedrooms are sex rooms. But she is doing like this weird yoga backbend, like stretching out when he opens the door. So she's like perfectly framed in a pin-up sex position. And we cut to John lying spread eagle on the bed, and he's like, so, not exactly five-star accommodations. And Zan's like, look, whatever. It's an air mattress. Like, you deal with it. Zan's like, I was a prisoner for several decades. Suck it up, John. You can sleep on a mattress on the floor for one night. John's still on the complaining train about how something's gone wrong with the society. It's all going backwards, blah, 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 blah. Well, I mean... It seems to have regressed technologically. That is suspicious to him. 
John offers to be a gentleman and let Zan have the bed when he will sleep on the floor. And Zan is all like, no, don't you remember? I come from a whole free hippie love planet. We can share the mattress. And John's like, uh, uncomfortable. But really, John? Come on. Like, don't be a dick. Okay, so Zan is having this conversation with him behind a screen. A privacy screen. A privacy screen where she's removing her clothes. When she comes out, she has a blanket wrapped around her so that, you know, this could air on television. Mm, Because this is more modesty than we've seen from Zan ever. Yeah. But it's kind of weird that she felt like she needed to get behind a privacy screen to get naked. Because then she comes out naked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So John is going to have to sleep with Zan, but not have sex with her. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Did you say yet, too? Yes, you told me they have sex at some point. They do have sex. Meanwhile, uh, Aaron is dealing with Rigel's explosive diarrhea. Okay, so it's sweat right now. Okay. Rigel is on the ship, and he is causing more explosions on the ship. Whenever liquid comes out of his body and makes contact with anything, it explodes. Yeah. Aaron kind of tests it a little. She, like moves a globule of of sweat off of his body with her gun and flings it to the ground and it explodes on the ground. It's freaky. And of course, Rigel's freaking out because who wouldn't freak out? Yeah. The DRDs are not having a good time of it this episode. One of them flips out because the explosion happens near it. Earlier, Dargo was kicking them on the ship when he was having his hyper rage. People are always so mean to the DRDs and it is not okay. So now we know what the issue is. He His body liquids are exploding. Yeah. Meanwhile, Zan is sleeping in the same bed with John, and she, in her sleep, she has started groping him. Yeah, she toss, She turns over in her sleep, and her hand lands directly on John's penis. And he's like, no, thank you. He just gingerly picks her hand up and moves it off of his junk. And then he is... Thankfully distracted by a call from Aaron on the ship, who fills him in on the whole Rigel is explosive now. I actually like this exchange, too, because when he picks up the communicator, he tells her, I I guarantee you what's happening there is not weirder than what's happening here. And she says, well, Rigel's piss is explosive now. And John's like, I stand corrected. He does indeed. John tells Aaron that she's going to have to deal with the Rigel situation because... He's on the planet dealing with the Dargo situation. So even though Aaron is not a scientist, she is going to have to pull on her scientist pants and figure it out. The next morning, the loudspeaker that, like, communicates to the whole planet, which is a super creepy dystopian touch, communicates that it's the morning and everybody should get up because... Because it is a work day. Yes, today is a work day. Even though, isn't it weird, didn't the loudspeaker say last night that tomorrow is a rest day? It totally did. Also, in a reversal of what happened earlier, Zan wakes up to find John's hand on her crotch. Yeah, well, like, cupping her ass. He, like, is spooning with her in his sleep. And unlike John, Zan's like, oh, this is nice, and kind of, like, snuggles into him. But it is a brand new day, and they're going to be spaced Uh, space agricultural tourists as Darko goes off to work in the fields. Yep, he tells them that he'll talk to them tonight. He says, tomorrow's a rest day, so we're going to have a big party tonight, but today we have to work in the fields. So John and Zan are going to come with him and work in the fields with him. 
Yes, the space woman comes out in her space nightie and space makes out with... Space makes out as much as she can with both of their makeup with Dargo in front of John and John's like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John has decided his goal is to get Dargo to get off the planet and, I mean, he just space made out with that space woman. Also, Dargo makes eye contact with John as he's making out with this lady, so that's weird. Yeah, yeah. John is wandering with the people who are going to work. He's not working, though. He's just, you know. Yeah, he's just he's just a tourist. <laughs> he's just a tourist, and he gets beckoned over by the girl and her father. Yes, Tanga. He follows her to the train car, and she says that she's very interested in him, but before she can, like explain anything or before she even tries to explain anything one of her associates just grabs him pulls him into the train car and then her father shoves a worm into him like this is stargate instead of farscape this isn't the first time someone's stuck a worm into one of john's orifices dargo did force the dentic into his mouth in an earlier episode also he was forcibly injected with the translator microbes yeah, yeah. Okay. So also, uh, he got injected with that thing that made all those clones of him. There's a lot of sticking stuff in John is what I'm getting at. Yes, that's accurate. Has it been every episode? Yeah, I think maybe every episode. I think John gets some alien organism inside of him at least once an episode. Yep. Yep. Now, weird thing about the father, uh, Hybin, in this episode, he's played by Ken Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And his voice sounds so much like the voice of Jonathan Hardy, the man who plays Rigel, or who voices Rigel, rather, mm-hmm. that I just assumed it was him until we looked at IMDb in order to record this very episode. He sounds almost exactly like him. I was sure it was him. I, I didn't even question that it was him. It sounds just like him. Anyway, it's not him. But this man, Hyben, tells John that he needs to eat to feed the worm, and that... If he tells anyone that the worm is in him, they will kill him. So he Love needs... that. Love to have an alien organism shoved inside of me and then be told that it makes me an outlaw. God, John is not having a fun time traveling the universe. Nope, nope. And by the way, the worm makes him all disoriented and high. So we get a sequence where John is running around and the camera is moving all wonky and making things appear double and and echoey. Ben Browder sure loves being high on this show. Ben Browder plays high so much. And and, and so he, he seems to relish it in a way that I've never seen another actor relish. And not just being high right now, which he is... But later on in the episode when he has to pretend that, pretend being high? Honestly, John Crichton pretending to be high might be my favorite trope. My favorite Farscape-specific trope. Yes, so he's wandering around, flipping the fuck out, eating as much as he can because that's the only thing that will sate the worm inside him as a loudspeaker tells them to eat the tonic root. Work as hard as you can. Tonight we party. Tomorrow is a rest day. Work as hard as you can because you rest tomorrow and party tonight. Yes. Out in the field, Zan is digging up roots with Dargo and trying to get the the lowdown on why he wants to stay. And Dargo gives her the same line he did before about how he feels a sense of contentment in this work. And, you know, it, it's pleasing to dig up the root. It's called a tannet root. Mm. 
And the tannet root, by the way, looks like the turnip from Mario Brothers 2. Like, that's what it always looks like to me. Yeah, I can see that. The American Mario Brothers 2, which was another Japanese game reskinned. But it's true. There's something very zen about simple hard work. And he's like, look, I don't want to be an outlaw for the rest of my life. I found something that makes me happy here. And I really don't think it's worth trading that in for a very uncertain future. And Zan's like, but, but Dargo, all futures are uncertain. And he's like, hey, shut up and farm with me. And she acknowledges that it is satisfying. She also is enjoying digging up the roots. Back on the ship, Rigel has been placed in cryosleep, but I don't know. I feel like on sci-fi shows, cryosleep is usually, like, neater, Mm. cleaner. Rigel just looks like a giant Rigel icicle. He does. Aaron actually snaps part of his mustache off, which from tales I've heard from Canada is something that's super painful. Oh, well, he's unconscious. He's frozen. I'm, I'm sure it I'm sure it would be painful if he was not unconscious. I do appreciate later in the episode when Rigel is unfrozen again, the puppet is missing part of his mustache. They kept they followed through with that this episode. Hmm. Also, Pilot tells her not to touch any more of his protuberances. But Aaron is going to have to do some science to figure out why he's exploding. Yeah, she insists again that she's not a scientist. And that Pilot should just do it. And Pilot has to explain to her that the scanning mechanism, that's not part of Moya. That's that's its own thing. So he doesn't have access to it. So he's basically going to talk her through her first experiment. Yeah, essentially. Meanwhile, John is not having a good day. He's been eating all day and flipping out. And he's just lying on the ground like, oh, God. I do like how Zan and Dargo come into the room and they're like, oh, hey, John, what you been up to? And he's like, I've been so much pain. And they're like, ah, good for you, buddy. They're like, here, put on this red outfit so that you blend in with everyone else. And also, Zan says, she's going to stay here on the planet with Dargo because it is awesome and she also loves it. And John's like, no, I'm going backwards. I was trying to convince one person to leave the planet and now I've lost one. Boy, if only Zan had some sort of psychic power that could warn her about stuff. Okay, so her power isn't really psychic. And she couldn't pick up bad vibes off of uh, the... Volme? Volme, the whitest lady in the universe. So Dargo comes out with the red outfits for both of them, and John's outfit is just a, just a, it doesn't have sleeves. It's a sleeveless outfit. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Bren Bradder has very large arms. Did, did you get your tickets, Max? Uh, what, what, what tickets your are you tickets talking? Your tickets to the gun show? Apparently I did. Yeah, Ben Bradder's arms are very nice. Yes, he's got very large arms, and he really wants you to know it. Or someone in the costuming department wants you to know it. John goes to the nightclub, and again, Tenga and Hyben are there. And he's like, hey, you're the people who put worms in me. Not a fan. And they're like, the worm is the only thing that's protecting you from the root, which is drugging everyone. So they'll all work in this collective because, you know, this farming isn't for our community. We're all being used as slaves for a greater empire. And John's like, greater empire? Why does that sound familiar to me? Okay, I have to say, this is the only part of the episode that really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, and to be fair, he's been sick all day. 
but I feel like it takes John too long to get to. It's the food. The food is messed up and the worm is eating the food so you don't get messed up. But we do eventually get there once he's told. Yes. Yeah, John like rolled a one on his gather information this week. But he does learn that the planet has not always been like that. That some other race came and brought the Tanit root and that did this to the people. He also asks if super white lady is one of the aliens who came and we find out that she's not tenga and hyben are immune they don't have worms they're immune from the tanit root Mm -hmm. and he asks about volme getting to be in charge he asks if she's immune too and tenga tells him no no that they just the people who came just chose her randomly they picked her randomly out of the crowd to be the person who was in charge and gave her a worm and there are very few worms, so John should be honored that they gave him one. I mean, honored. Honored. It, it's more he was the guy that they got to first, because he is a spaceship, and they want to use him to call for help out in the universe. And they tell him, hey, look, here comes Volma. Volme, you have to act drugged so that she's not suspicious, because if she's suspicious, you are going to die. Good luck with that, dude. And I love her because she comes up and she flashes him the peace sign because that's what he did to them when that's what he did to her and Zan when they were doing their hippie elbow sex. Yes. It's cute how she's trying to communicate with him on his level. I think I like in universe John pretending to be stoned more than John actually being stoned. In universe John pretending to be stoned is a gift. He pretends to be stoned like a high school drama student who has never actually smoked pot, pretending to be high in a play. It's like someone who's never seen a Cheech and Chong movie, but has heard of Cheech and Chong movies. He is the biggest goddamn square in the universe. He really is. He's such a nerd. Volme tells him that she wants him to bring the other people on his ship, the people on his ship that returned, back down to the planet. And she's very interested in the fact that his ship is a cargo vessel. She tells John to enjoy the night because, after all, tomorrow is a rest day. And John's like, ah, yeah, tomorrow's a rest day. It took him forever to figure out the tannet root was drugging people and that the worm was saving him from the tannet root. But he he caught on to the tomorrow is a rest day thing pretty quickly. Yeah. Which, in case we weren't clear, is the thing. Every day is Friday. Every day is tomorrow is a rest day. Which, I have to say, seems particularly cruel to me. I understand from a psychological perspective, if you wanted people to work hard, although actually, I think a lot done on Fridays. Yeah, no, I think it's a bad idea because I feel like Fridays are generally my least productive day. Yeah. Also, it should be, thank God, it's Tuesday again. Tuesdays are the days I get the most done. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if you have people partying every single night because they think tomorrow is a rest day... Yeah, then they're going to be all tired and not able to work properly. I mean, I guess exhaustion is a way you keep people under control, but you're also making them farm, and people must be tired all the time. Yeah, so not to not to poke holes in this plot of yours, but maybe, maybe it should be Thursday, because then it's almost the weekend. Yeah, it just, it, this plan doesn't seem well thought through. Speaking of things not being well thought, thought through Aaron has to do science yes and she is not comfortable with it she tells pilot she's not you know book smart the way he is and pilot lets her know his secret 
which is that he's not actually all that smart either. Moya has a lot of information and he studies really hard, but Moya knows so much more than he'll ever be able to understand, and he only really understands a fraction of the information that's in Moya's memory banks. Honestly, I feel like this is a really good thing about the difference between someone who's very smart as a kid and therefore never learned how to study. I feel like he's got sort of the deeper knowledge you get when you don't have that as a kid and you have to learn how to study and then you do better academically later. Yeah. Meanwhile, John's arms. And also John. Yeah, back on the planet, it's the next day, and John is going off with everyone to farm again in his arm-bearing outfit. I have to say, the... He's the only one whose outfit is cut off to show his arms. I didn't really notice that, but you're right. Although, a lot of the women's outfits are midriff-bearing. Yeah, I was about to say, he's the only one with bare arms, but a lot of the women are showing off their midriffs, which doesn't seem smart if you're working in the sun all day. No, no. Species must have some weird damn lines. Well, so, they all have this dark maroon skin, and the costumer said that they were going for, like, a really weathered farmer look. And they decided that it would make sense for people in this climate to wear the red that kind of matched their skin. It doesn't pop against their skin like you would normally expect because they're just sheltering themselves from the from the elements. Mm-hmm. But the red clothing looks great against Zan's blue skin. It's a good color for her. It does. Like, I know she's got the monochromatic thing going on, but I feel like she should mix in some more primary pops of color. Works for her. Meanwhile, Aaron is drilling into the frozen fish sickle. Well, she's got to, like, remove fluids, but they can't stay fluid because they're explosive. Yeah, she's got kind of between a rock and a hard place here. Like, she needs to get the fluid out of his body, but she can't melt it because then it'll explode. Well, she's just creating, like, frozen slides of blood. And she finally figures out what the problem is, and she gets very excited. She tells Pilot that he did it, and Pilot tells her no. It was you, Aaron. You did it. And she gets really excited. It's, it's, she's getting a lot of, I think we've mentioned this a few times before, but she gets a lot of good bonding moments with Pilot, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, it's a good bonding moment with Pilot. It's also a good growth moment for her. Yeah, because she's been pretty dismissive about the whole science thing up until now. I mean, it's John's main ability. I mean, actually, socializing is John's main ability, but... As far as things she considers useful, science is his thing, and she's always been kind of condescending and dismissive of it. So this is kind of a good note of character progression on her part, that she's like, oh, this is a useful thing. Yeah. In fact, down on the planet, John slips away to contact her, and she tells him that she figured out what's going on. She figured out that Rigel's body chemistry is turning the tannet root explosive, and John tells her what to do. And she says she's already done it. She's already set him up into some sort of weird sci-fi machine that drains all the tannin root out of his system. Good for her. Yeah. And John's proud of her, too. A little condescending about it, but still proud of her. Yes. Aaron says that they will get out of there as soon as they're done draining Rigel of his explosive stuff. And John has to tell her, um, bad news now Zan wants to stay on the planet, too. And Aaron is so annoyed. Aaron's like, oh my god, okay, we'll leave her, too. But... No. John's like, nope, 
we're 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 gonna we're gonna take care of this. John's like, there's more going on here. You deal with Rigel, and I will figure out the whole rebellion on this planet. I mean, to be fair to John, I, I was on the whole let's leave Dargo behind thing. But if you lose Zan, then you've lost a lot of your crew. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the two of them and Rigel alone could handle being on the run from the peacekeepers in Moya. Yeah. Yeah. Your party's too small to lose two people. You could lose one, but not two. Yeah. John goes up to the train car where the rebellion is, and when Tanga gets there, he pulls her into the train car, and, okay, this is weird. His obsession is, how do I get the worm out of me? And it's like, I don't know, John, but... That's not the important thing right now. You should be trying to find more worms so that you can, you know, de-drugify Zan and Dargo and get them out of here. Right? Although, I mean, a solid plan would be to just to, like, I don't know, tase them or something and then get them back up to the ship until they sober out. Yeah, that actually seems like a good idea. Huh. Yeah. Like, you really don't need to get involved with this whole rebellion thing. And from what you've told me later in the show, they stop. Yeah, well, for the most part, they stop caring. But one of the things I like about John is that even though the show busts up sci-fi tropes, John was raised on them. Like, John was raised watching Star Trek. So if he lands on a planet where there's an oppressive force and a rebellion, he's going to be like, well, we have to help the rebellion before we leave. Even if everyone else is like, we just stopped here to pick up milk. He's like, but we have to free the milk people first. Fun fact, you don't. I mean, I it's one of the things that makes me love John is his desire to help everybody he comes across. Yeah, it's nice, except when it's annoying. Yes. Uh, Tanga tells John that the Tanit Root isn't just drugging her people and destroying them, but also it kills the planet. I mean, it's an unsustainable farming practice. Yeah, it's a foreign thing that the aliens who are forcing them to farm planted in the earth, it's killing the earth. This planet is going to be dead if they keep on farming this one thing. Yeah. Also, her father is very old and farming is not good for him. So she kind of has to hide from other people that he's dying because he needs to keep acting like he's high. It's honestly a terrible situation to be in. Hmm. They talk more about, you know, the origin of the origin of this invasion, about how White Lady was chosen to represent them and how she might think that it's in the best interest of the planet because it stops them from getting nuked by the aliens that are forcing them to farm, but it's not because it's killing the planet slower and, you know, they she want uh, this girl was like I'd rather have a quick death fighting a rebellion than a slow death being farmed to death. Well, good news for her. Yeah, good news for her. And Tanga also talks about how her father was like a concert pianist before this all happened and essentially letting us know that everybody had a life before they were all conscripted into being farmers like this. So that night at the celebration, Volme approaches John because she wants to show him something. John, who is doing a really bad job of fake dancing. He's fake high dancing. He's like, this is how high people dance, right? Oh, John. So Volme takes him to the warehouse where all of the tenant root that they farmed is stored. Although I do not blame John for feeling like he is about to be murdered as he's walked through these like weird alleys behind the... Either something, 
sexually bad is going to happen or he's going to be murdered. Yes. Because she is kind of, I mean, all alien women on the show kind of hit on John. And there well, is, look at those arms! There is an aspect of that to this. She wants to ask him about space because she has only ever lived on this planet. People on her planet don't really leave. So all she's known is like the scorching heat and space instead is cold. And she doesn't say it out loud, but she's thinking about what it would be like to live in space. And so she wants to hear about it from John so she can decide what it is that she's going to do. That's the thing I like about this character. She's a villain, but she's not like... It's, again, it's not like last episode. She's a villain who, on one level, thinks that she's doing the best thing for her people, but not in a good way, necessarily. She's like, this is the lesser of two evils. Well, you can see why she made that choice initially, to do the lesser of two evils. And also, if she refused, presumably the aliens would have just killed her and put the worm in someone else. Yeah. And now she has decided that she has a means to escape. And it's hard to blame her for not trying to free her whole planet when her thought is, I have figured out a way to escape what is happening. Yeah. Need to put yourself first in this sort of situation. She can't help anyone if she's dead. And she's doing her best. She's doing her best. She takes John to the warehouse where all the tenant root is stored and she... Asks him if they can load it all up on his cargo ship, if his cargo ship will hold all of this tannin. Because her thought is, if somebody has enslaved her entire planet to grow it, it must be valuable. So she can fill up the starship and take off and sell it somewhere. And we, the viewers, get to get a look at the symbol that is all over the warehouse where the tannin root is stored. Does that symbol look kind of familiar to you? Yeah, it kind of looks like the shapes. Yeah, it's the peacekeeper symbol. Yes, it is the peacekeeper symbol. I mean, not that it should be surprised that the oppressors are the peacekeepers. Spoilers, y'all. It's always going to be the peacekeepers. Sorry, I like I started stuttering even as I was saying that because it's actually not always going to be the peacekeepers. Yeah. It's going to be one of those, you know, oh, it turns out the people you were fighting against were stopping a greater threat from rising. Sort of. I mean. An equivalent threat. Yeah. Back on the ship, Aaron has revived Rigel, who is complaining because he's cold and shivering and he doesn't like anything. And Aaron's like, shut up. I saved your life. Chew on that. Chew on the fact that I, a peacekeeper, just saved you. And he's like, oh, I suppose I owe you one. And she's like, I also owe you one. One murdering from that one time that you, you know, bit a huge chunk out of my arm. Oh, it was so terrible. Oh. But she tells Rigel they have to go back down to the planet because John called them down to the planet because he has a plan. On the planet. On the planet. He has a plan on the planet. When Aaron gets there and she sees John in, like, the farmer outfit, she's like, what is going on? And John is like, oh my god, so much. I do not even have time to tell you all the shit that's going on. Also, get Rigel, because we need to stuff him full of tannin root again. Aaron likes your idea, though. Aaron's like, well, what if we just grabbed Dargo and Zan and just... Left? Left? And he's like, no, we have to help these people. And she's like, this is going to be a whole thing, isn't it? I do love the tired look on her face. She's like, this is what happens when you travel with John. You have to, like, save people and shit. And he tells her, you know white lady's plan that she's gonna take their ship and just blast off with a bunch of tannic root and aaron's like really that 
she knows that I I can just kill her with guns, right? And John's like, that's why we need to help out with the rebellion. And Aaron, you don't, right? They don't. Aaron wants to know the whole plan, and he's like, I do not have time to tell you the whole plan. And I love this because now that she is a scientist, she's like, okay. Do you think I'm too dumb to understand the plan? Because I was a fucking scientist up there. I could science the shit out of stuff now. And John's like, no, I just don't have time. He does, you thought, kind of condescendingly call her a junior scientist. Yes. And also, I do like the sort of, he, he's got this whole, we have to help the rebellion, you know, because it's right and because it's good. And because there's a worm inside of me that only they know how to get out. Yeah, that's true, too. Like, he, he leads with the noble goals, but then he comes in with the, like, look, there's a worm crawling around in my unpleasant regions, and I would really want it to not be there anymore. Yeah, yeah. He does also call Aaron Madame Curie, and then explains that that's an Earth scientist. And I think Aaron's kind of flattered by that. She discovered radiation and then died of radiation poisoning. Well, he doesn't tell her that. Aaron's just like, oh, you're using your incomprehensible references to... Compliment me? To compliment me. It's the highest compliment an Earth person can give, apparently, is to compare you to something they saw on television. If I was John, I would just be making up references all the time. Yeah, I can totally see that. Back in the club, John is talking with Volme, and I just have to point out that he's sitting on the counter, Mm. which is a very uh, bisexual move. We went two different directions there. Yeah, yeah. I brought up in our Once Upon a Time podcast... That sitting on things that are not meant to be sat on is a real, like, sexual signifier. It is. It's, it shows that you are down to clown. Yes. Also, sitting strangely is a real bisexual indicator. It's bisexual culture. Hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. John sitting on the counter like that talking to Volme? I'm just saying. It raises a lot of uh, interesting canon theories. So Volme tells him to bring the people down from his ship, and he says he already has. And she gets very excited, and she's like, well, let's load up the cargo ship. And he's like, no, I'm immune from your mind control. And the music stops for no reason. Like, it's implied that John stopped it, but it's like, just like a record scratch. Like, oh no, John is not immune. And it's diegetic because as soon as he walks away, Volme's like, start the music back up. So she chases after John, and she's got her guards with her and also Dargo, and she's like, no, no, give me your ship or I'll kill you. And Aaron's like, I have a gun. I can shoot you with this gun and then you'll be dead. I like that Aaron tells Volme, look, just give us Dargo and Zan and we'll go. It's not worth the trouble to you. And Volme refuses, and Dargo doesn't want to go because he's all hypnotized by the Tanit root. And then Aaron orders Rigel to pee on her. To pee? He's standing on a wall, and she orders him to start peeing off the wall, not on her. (laughs) He's peeing at her and her guards, and the fire urine is making them all run away because... Well, as soon as the urine hits the ground, it explodes. And here's the weird thing. I mean, the tannin root is probably making them high, but it's not 
a total mind control thing because as soon as it hits the ground and it starts exploding, it's like everyone sobers up and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah, and this snaps Dargo out of his thing. He's like, wait, since when can he pee fire? And John's like, it's the tannic root. It messes with your biology. With us human-looking people, it makes us all susceptible and submissive and all the stuff you hate as a generic warrior guy. In his people, it makes their body fluids explode. Aaron also tells them that it's what the peacekeepers use to make shotgun oil, which is the oil that powers all of their weapons. So if he wants to stay here and keep working and like live this idyllic farm lifestyle... He will be providing the peacekeepers with the weapons they use to subjugate his people. And he's like, ugh, damn it. Warrior guy shtick. I mean, that's really powerful for Dargo and for Zan. But Volme's like, okay, but I don't really care if people are using it for food or weapons. Yeah, it doesn't really make a difference to me. I'm just cool with them enslaving us because the uh, other option is them killing us. Yes. And John's like, well, they're going to kill you anyway. They might as well kill you in one quick burst. Yeah, once they've used up your planet, they're just going to kill you. And Aaron tells them, look, I'll teach you how to turn the tannin root into shotgun oil. Which I like because I feel like she might not have been confident in her ability to do that before the scenes with Rigel. Yeah. But she's like, I'll teach you how to make the oil. And all of your people can remember how to make guns because you used to you used to know how to do that. Well, apparently not well enough to fend off the peacekeepers in the first place. Well, they probably weren't prepared. Mm. They'd be prepared this time. So, essentially, John ignited a rebellion by waking everybody up and just talking their overseer into fighting the peacekeepers instead of working for them. Honestly, I don't think this is going to end well for these people. We never see these people again. I have no idea how it goes, but you're right. It's probably not well. But my point is, John essentially overcame the villain of this episode, who, as you pointed out, has some very sympathetic motivation. But John overcame the villain of this episode just by talking her into fighting with the rebels instead. Yeah. Go, John! Good for him. And I do like, Volme says that the work on the guns and the gun oil and all that stuff will start in two days because tomorrow will be a rest day, but a real rest day. Tomorrow they will actually rest, and then the next day they will start fucking dismantling the peacekeepers. Yes, and she does the hand sex thing with the old guy who's dying of being old and not playing the piano enough. And yeah. uh, and that's the last we see of that planet. Yep. I mean, it's true. It's that... It probably didn't work and they probably all died. I mean, it's depressing, but true. But we never see them again. Maybe they're okay. Yeah. We, we, we later see groups of people who are referred to as free sebations. Sebations who essentially have made themselves more trouble than they're worth to the peacekeepers. This could be a planet of free sebations. Yeah. It's totally possible. So we hard cut to Aaron pulling the worm out of John. And John being like, not a fan. She's got like a chainmail glove on. Yeah, yeah. And Rigel's like, it was worse for me. And John's like, I really don't think it was. We also find out that Rigel has been frozen twice. So I guess sometime between them getting back on the ship and John getting the worm pulled out, they froze Rigel again and drained the tannet root out of him again. Well, they'd have to. Yes. And then everybody gets their their emotional debrief where they deal with all of the emotions that came up during the episode. Aaron gets to come to the realization that she could maybe be more than a warrior, that she 
actually got to be a scientist and that maybe that's something that, not that she wants to pursue, but maybe it means that she's more than she thought she was. Yeah, it's nice. She's like, look, I this episode I got to discover something new about myself. I got to touch on abilities I didn't know I had. And it's nice to see that other avenues are opening. And John's like, that's great. I had a worm wriggling around my bells and I had to eat and barf a lot. So it's good that you had a nice episode. <laughs> Aaron also tells John, and I feel like this is a real moment of growth for her too, because it's dealing with people, something Aaron is not known for being the best at. That he should wait for Dargo to come to him before he goes to talk to Dargo, because Dargo's probably hella embarrassed about everything that happened. As well he should be. And then we get the debrief with Dargo and Zan. Which is sort of a redux of the conversation they had earlier when he convinced her, you know, to join farm life. Well, I like it because when they had that conversation, they were high and... The implication was that he was brainwashed, but this is showing us that there was something underneath that, right? Dargo tells her that, you know, part of him wants to be warrior guy, but part of him just wants to get married and have children and have a little plot of land that he farms. And Zan tells him, like, look, that's okay. We're all multiple people, and all of those people can exist within you. They don't have to be at war. Also, she reminds him that he's still very young. He could still get married and have kids and have a little plot of land. And, I mean, spoiler alert, the idea of going and having a little plot of land and just being a gentleman farmer Mm -hmm. will be kind of a thing that Dargo wants for a while. Zan tells him that... She had hundreds of dreams, so shut up with your small ass shit, dude. Yeah, like, she wanted to do millions of things. And... She chose to be a psychic death priest. Yes. It's a nice moment of connection where she's like, look, you could die tomorrow. You could not. All of your options are still open to you. So, like, there's... Yeah. She also tells him, you know, you figure out what dream you want and just work towards it. Just figure out what you want and go get it. And, you know, it's motivational in a way that is partially helpful and partially annoying. But I think it's what Dargo needed to hear in that moment. Yeah, and it was a good way to wrap up the episode. Yeah. So I really like this episode. I'm, I'm so glad you like this episode. I, I also really like this episode. I feel like it's got just the right amount of drama and humor. Most of the characters get good growth moments, especially Aaron, who who's going who's gonna to mind that. I love when Aaron gets good growth moments. More Dargo than I'd like, but eh. And, uh, I mean, the Rigel stuff is the weakest part of the episode, but I feel like that's almost perpetually true. But there's a strong villain, which is always good. Yes. So our segments, our first segment is Strange Alien Creatures, where we talk about one of the aliens on the show this week. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious what we're going to choose, right? I mean, it's got to be Volme, right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely Volme. Because she's got, like, her whole aesthetic is amazing, She's she is the same species as everyone else, but she is completely white as where they are maroon. And her she's got her hair in these very intricate, intricately wrapped braids around and up her head. Uh, the red eyes are intense, and she's got kind of like a gold shadow around the red eyes. It works really well, and you can kind of see the veins in her head. And what really sells it is her mannerisms. Like she does a good job with alien affectations, which. 
I mean, she sells more than the other people on this planet, which makes it come off like she might be the Anya of this planet. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been thinking of her as the Emma Frost of this planet, mostly because her outfit is like a white suit that only buttons at the breasts. So mm. she's got like all the cleavage and all the midriff. Mm. But no, also the Anya of the planet works very well. So our second segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what in this episode felt really alien to you. Okay, so there wasn't really one particular thing. I didn't like it in narrative because it felt like dumb bathroom humor, but I do like the fact that the brainwashing route, I don't like it, but I do like the sort of deeper implications of, okay, the brainwashing route has some very different effects on someone who is not human-esque. Yes, different alien physiologies having different effects. Honestly, you think Zan would have more of a different reaction to it. I mean, she's a plant! Yeah, but... Is it cannibalism for her to eat the root? Yes, but she doesn't care. That's who she is. And our final segment is looking for a way home, which is what really connected with you in this episode. I mean, the Aaron stuff is the strongest emotional element of the episode. The scene with Aaron and Pilot, where Pilot admits to her that he is not as smart as he appears to be, and that he works really hard to look smart. And then he tells her that he's confiding in her, even though none of the others know, because he trusts her. It's, it's great. I really love, I love their dynamic, and it's a very strong scene. I, I, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Any any pilot Aaron scene is probably always going to be my favorite. And that's a particularly good one. Yeah, definitely. So next week, we're going to be talking about PK Tech Girl. I feel like I've heard you say a lot of really good things about that episode. I quite like PK Tech Girl. There is a trope in it that is kind of problematic. Mm. Which is, I'll just go ahead and say it, which is the trope of pushing forward a ship of two people in this case john and aaron by introducing a third person a pablo but the thing is jillian is so great that it's fine she's she's more of a karen than a pablo all right really mixing your uh yes and and for for people who are not as like immersed in in television as we are, those those references are to Friends and The Office, respectively. Crossing the sitcom streams. It's both NBC, it's fine. The description of PK Tech Girl on my, on my digital purchase of Farscape reads, The crew finds an abandoned peacekeeper ship adrift in space. On board, they discover that Crace recently deposited a unit of text to make repairs. Rigel learns that this was the ship where he was first held captive and starts getting paranoid. Oh, good, Rigel. I thought you were going to note that we're finally going to see Crace again. Oh, yeah, thank you, because it's been a while. Yeah, we haven't seen Crace in so long. So, that's it for this week, I think. Yeah, that'll about do it. This show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any television... 
including friends or the office. You should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>